ACAV is largely preoccupied, no pun intended, with taking possession of the land. And it includes the promise that the land will extend from the wilderness, from the Midbar, all the way to the Tigris-Euphrates. Akev seems to have no value concerning indigenousness. We are not indigenous to the land. And those inhabiting the land do not have inherent moral rights to it. At the same time, it does not have a power militaristic Darwinian view either. It does not suggest that war justifies land possession or occupation. In fact, it is not power that defines a right to the land, but rather fulfillment of covenantal obligations. We earn the right. We earn the right to live there by our serving the land and by serving God and fulfilling the obligations, including our moral and social obligations that God sets before us in the Parsha. Failure to uphold God's purposes pollutes the land. Punishment for our sins is actually exile from the land. The land throws us out. This is a very different model than the one that has rather quickly in 2020 become the staple of conversation. The word indigenous is suddenly used very, very regularly, including in statements in Divrei Torah by me. Indigenous, though, it's a term with power now. It's a term that has become synonymous with holy, with divinely chosen to be connected, and with victim. And this is a long time coming. As an American, as a Michigander now, I've been educated to know how our land came into possession through being stolen, through broken oath, through violence from the indigenous peoples. But no one ever explained why we still watch cowboy movies. My home is happily filled lately with the songs of Hamilton. But like many others, I also want to know why the man thought that the strength of the fledgling nation state of America depended on the extermination of the indigenous populations. As Jews, we don't believe that putting aside our reason is helpful when expressing and facing our moral certainties and calls for action. We know, for example, that the Me Too movement has correctly revealed the untold horrors of sexual coercion and violence that all of us knew were happening all around us and to us even as we participated in and sometimes glorified the stereotypes of it, parallel to the cowboy movie. So many paradigms just baked into our culture. But truly bringing justice to where the absence of justice has been allowed to reign demands of us to have the difficult discussions of what consent involves, what consent means, and not only wielding the word consent as a bludgeon, that somehow is meant to explain itself. I think of Barry Weiss referring in her leaving of the New York Times to the fact that she faced a lot of criticism, perhaps mainly for a column she wrote about consent, about, whether we, about how we have conversations about whether anything that has the word consent with it is automatically 
validated or whether it's a conversation that needs to be had. And in fact, anyone who works at universities, anyone who actually works within systems is doing that hard work, including the female Supreme Court justices that we have in the United States, whom I treasure, who have also tried to raise issues about how we figure out what that word means in the context of regulations relating to universities put in place during the Obama administration. Failing to have a conversation, failing to really use the best of our intellectual and moral resources to figure out what consent is, is not fair to those who have been victims of sexual violence and sexual exploitation. The call of the moment is to bring our best intellectual as well as moral resources to define that term. And so Chu, I call, and this is the only point of today's sermon. I mean, I'm sure everyone's going to think, oh, he's the same old hackneyed debate about Israel. But really, my honest point is that we really, really, really need to be, we need to be Jewish about this. We need to bring the very best of Talmudic debate, or the very best of legal understanding and moral understanding to what this term indigenous means and how we can use it well, just like how we can use consent well. This week, one of the most high-profile Jewish celebrities, Seth Rogen, got into hot water. This is an actor I have presented in the Beth Israel Religious School to our middle school students. As an example, especially during Purim, I do this, who's been hiding like Esther that they're Jewish and who's revealed it? He is someone who has not hidden his Jewishness both privately and on screen. This is not an actor whom you find out one day in a trivia game once gave an interview mentioning they had a Jewish parent or two. This is a Canadian who grew up going to Jewish schools as well as Jewish summer camp, and his parents met while volunteering on a kibbutz in the 1970s. He's a guy who's recognizably Jewish in all of his movies, though in my opinion, not with any cringeworthy stereotypes. And it's the guy who just released the number one comfort comedy in America on HBO, and it's about a Yiddish-speaking Jewish immigrant to America who falls into a vat of pickles in 1919 and wakes up 100 years later. And he plays the part. In my opinion, he's admirable. Rogan claimed to Mark Marin, another Jew who doesn't hide his Jewishness, on the hugely popular WTF podcast that, quote, as a Jewish person, I was fed a huge amount of lies about Israel my entire life. They never tell you that, oh, by the way, there were people there. They make it seem like it was just sitting there, like the door was just open. They forget to include that fact to every Jewish, young Jewish person, unquote. Rogan's comments come on the heels of another stir in the news, I think it was last week. Rabbi Andy Kahn, a junior rabbi at Temple Emmanuel in New York City, wrote on Twitter, quote, Let me say this as plainly as possible. Jews are not an indigenous people. It is appropriative to make use of this word when referring to our relationship to the land of Israel, and it undermines the difficult work being done to fix the ongoing oppression of indigenous peoples. Unquote. The statement grew, drew criticism from numerous Jewish voices, including his senior rabbi, um, Rabbi Joshua Davidson, who then wrote in the foreword, I disagree with Rabbi Khan's statement in both its facts and its effects, nor does it speak for our synagogue. Beyond the Bible, numerous historians argue the Jewish people's national identity was forged in the land of Israel. 
Whatever point Rabbi Khan sought to make, and whether Jews meet the United Nations measure of an indigenous people or not, such claims are too easily manipulated by those who seek to undermine Israel's legitimacy as a Jewish homeland. Archaeology suggests an ancient Jewish presence there 3,000 years ago, corresponding to the period of the Davidic monarchy, unquote. So I can't complete it here, and I don't have any clever answer to it, but let's start just a little bit. The word indigenous, I take these from dictionaries, the word indigenous refers to the notion of a place-based human ethnic culture that has not migrated from its homeland. Let's repeat that. The word indigenous refers to the notion of a place-based human ethnic culture that has not migrated from its homeland. It can be added that it is not a colonial population. Webster's defines it as produced, growing, living, or occurring natively or naturally in a particular region or environment. When I studied philosophy, I, and theology too, I was always told to be really careful when people use the word natural. Well, it's natural for people to do that. It's human nature for people to do that. This is the natural order of things. Um, we, sometimes the word natural isn't a word that explains a lot. People who have a natural connection to their land. Encyclopedia. Indigenous normally refers to aboriginal peoples, or the term used to be used, first peoples, ethnic groups who are the original or earliest known inhabitants of an area, in contrast to groups that have settled, occupied, or colonized the area more recently. So as I work with those terms, and I hope you did too in your mind, it probably came up better stuff than me as usual, then I know you may be wondering what I'm going to say about Seth Rogen. Am I going to say that he's just a leftist ignoramus when many American Jews certainly feel the same as Seth Rogen? I guess the way I feel is that Seth Rogen and Andy Kahn aren't great sources to quote on these issues. I don't think they should be our authorities. And I think Seth Rogen at least, and maybe it's just because I like some of his work, I think he has the humility to agree. A little bit like Dave Chappelle saying, I'm happy to express my opinion, but I don't think I need to be the source of Black Lives Matter um, intellectual thought. I think Seth Rogen would say the same about himself. He's a comedian. But these two statements, so recently and now in the context of our parsha, are symptoms expressing out loud the processing of our moral orientation and our attempt to bring justice to this world. But just as the term like consent doesn't by itself communicate its contours and its legal implications, though it strongly conveys moral judgment, I think these events are a clarion call for us to really look at, debate, and dig into what we mean by this. I want us to preserve the calls to justice and the clarity that a Jewish, a Talmudic investigation would bring. And so a couple of thoughts, and I'll wrap up. First, if indigenous means the first people there then we'd have to investigate whether those occupying the land in the late 19th century could trace their roots back to being in the land. Would it be 3,000 years ago, prior to the building of Jerusalem, the Davidic dynasty the other rabbi refers to? Does, it mean, does moving from Jordan in the 1800s to that area to join your relatives makes you, make you indigenous? 
Does living in Sfat from descendants from the 1500s make you indigenous? Does being in a place before someone else count as having, I think this word conveys a lot, having like an, ab, like an aboriginal tie to the land? What would count as being first in Israel-Palestine? What if historically and archaeologically we have evidence to suggest that Jews or Hebrews or Israelites or whatever their name indeed what you want to use, what if we have evidence that they were in Canaan in 1100 BCE and before? What if, ironically, the scholarly evidence is that today's parasha is partially fanciful because most of the Israelites actually were already native on some level by these definitions to Canaan prior to the Exodus? Or to be less dramatic, that there is truth to the position of Genesis, that our people are already dwelled in the land for a long time, before some of them went to Egypt. And let's look at the inhabitants of the land that we've been referring to in our partio during the biblical period. The Philistines, from which the word Palestine and Palestinian, of course, take their name, and I know you know that. And I know you know that they were invaders of Canaan from the Aegean area of the Mediterranean. You know, I've been referring lately to the Midianites as being from the area of Arabia, but I got an email from a biblical scholar after one of my sermons about it, and he said he subscribes to a different biblical theory, that the Midianites is the term, that I'm going too much by this idea that people have these connections to land and it was all divided up. And he said there's a very common biblical theory that the Midianites moved around and sojourned in different areas and different times. In a different way, or what we're getting to is that one ethnic or racial group has a special connection to the land, not as a geographical area, not they were there first, not that they own it, but in a way that is not political, maybe actually is about not owning it. Is the word indigenous really trying to convey a romantic vision of non-national? Strangely, while this might be the easiest understanding to critique, to de-romanticize, to find fault with, it might actually be closer to today's parashah. How many verses can today's parasha commit to the notion that one morally earns their right to be in the land based on moral and social behavior, including one's commitments to other peoples in the land? Can we hear the Torah's call that who gets there first is not a justification for claims? Could that, in fact, be a more powerful progressive call to understanding Israel's moral position in the world, that the state will suffer depending on that behavior? Just as it has taken centuries, if not most of human history, to wake up to the exploitation by those in power of people of color, of women, of LGBTQ people, of refugees, will we wake up to the entire Jewish position of the prophets, that a claim to nation status and to land is dependent on the conduct of the society presently therein, rather than looking elsewhere for justification? And if progressives like me are allowed to do that critique of Jewish leaders in Israel, are we not allowed to suggest that for Palestinian leaders as well? And just throwing out a term like indigenous or our Jews are not indigenous, head off and stop that line of inquiry. And here we are mentioning refugees. It comes out of the Torah portion. It comes out of these definitions, this investigation. Is there something problematic about rabbis like Andy Kahn or celebrities like Seth Rogen celebrating the rights of refugees in one Twitter day? and on another implying a strong condemnation in the refugees from pogrom, from the Holocaust, from Arab countries, should have bought land and settled in Israel? 
that they shouldn't have? That being a refugee is to be a colonialist? Judaism was well ahead of its time with understanding that we tend to blame others for being the cause of our woes rather than our internal societal failings. On Tisha B'Av, we don't call ourselves innocent victims of the Romans. It's crazy, but we actually ask why we made ourselves weak by infighting and injustice. The prophets make this principle a staple. And could it be that the word indigenous in the context of the struggle for human rights in Israel and the occupied territories does have an element of projection, the psychological defense mechanism of alleviating the crushing anxieties of our own failings here in America by seeing those faults in another. Here, our own crushing anxieties of whether we have any right to this land because we're clearly not indigenous, and what does that mean? And it's so heavy to try to even hold that at all that it's easy to make a Twitter statement or a podcast statement about the wrongs in Israel against the indigenous people there. Interestingly, Seth Rogen claims that he was lied to in Hebrew school, and that's the thing that most angers me in his statement. It's a statement that seems to animate American diaspora Jews especially, and I wonder where it comes from. I went to a very conventional Zionist Hebrew school at my synagogue. We watched the movies, actually on Shabbat, we had Saturday morning school, and we watched all those movies that were made, you know, about the, the boats arriving in Israel, it was clear to us that refugees were arriving in Palestine. It was clear that Arabs were already there. It was clear that some Arabs sold land to Jews arriving in the late 1800s and early 1900s. It was clear to us that some Arabs weren't happy that other Arabs were doing that. Um, it was clear to us that the Arabs didn't like the fact that there were too many of these refugees. In fact, they didn't teach me anything. The, the, the strange thing is he's so wrong. What I didn't ever learn was the treatment of Jews in Arab countries. I waited till I was well advanced in my adulthood to even hear about the Arab connection to Nazis. In the Hebrew school, I learned that Menachem Begin was terrorist who made peace. And, and what did we think of that? And let's have a discussion. I learned that Jews were victimized, and I also learned that Arabs were displaced and suffered greatly. And that was in the 1970s. People have said to me, I bet in your Hebrew school at Beth Israel, you're brainwashing those kids about Israel. And as you all know, we barely talk about it because it's too controversial an issue. So that's what I hate about Seth Rogen's statement. I actually got a view that was, I thought, somewhat nuanced and raised questions. And yes, had some romance in the vision, of course, but it opened up avenues of thought. So in conclusion, this word indigenous, like consent, has become a staple of our vocabulary to discuss justice and the direction of our country and actual actions we need to take. I think it should become a term for us of Talmudic and moral and judicial debate. And by illuminating it, we will illuminate ourselves. By failing to illuminate it, we will be hiding in our own shadows. Shabbat Shalom.